first start working with a client and, I, and I'm working through that first bad market with them, I say, as bad as this is, I'm glad it's happening. Because once you work through one, you won't, it'll be so much easier to work through the next one. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons, the world's largest law firm with a global team that builds agile, tailored solutions to meet the local, national, and global needs of private and public clients of any size in 183 locations serving 75 countries. Hi, everyone. My name is Heather Barnhouse, partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast, where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today, I'm joined by Lindsay Sparrow, Wealth Advisor at Wellington Altus Private Wealth. Welcome, Lindsay. Hey, Heather, how's it going? Great, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. To get started, can you give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself and also about Wellington Altus and what it does? Yeah, so um, I've been an investment advisor for 17 years, and I worked for ATB the last 14. And then I recently transitioned to more of an independent firm, which is Wellington Altus Private Wealth, where we just focus on um, high net worth. And we do everything from investments to insurance to planning, all that good stuff. I I say that's my day job. And then at (laughs) night, I become a divorce financial expert where I also have a divorce company called Split Savvy. Um, And then I can give you just a couple interesting tidbits about myself. So born and raised in Saskatchewan, small town Saskatchewan girl, forced to drink Pilsner through high school, pretended to like it, also pretended to be a Rough Riders fan, obviously. Now that I'm in Alberta, I don't have to be. Yeah, really, really you've, you've converted now that you've come to Alberta. That's exactly right. I converted. I've either come to the dark side or left the dark side. I'm not sure which. There was a dark side somewhere. Yeah, there definitely was. <laughs> Some other stuff about me. Married. I'm, I'm down the path of not having children. So 37 years old, decided not to go down that route. And then I'm a huge lover of everything wine. And I joke that my, my favorite um, sport is wine touring. That is, uh, that is quite the sport and probably not one to be paired with other sports. No, definitely not. <laughs> the other piece about me, sorry, I'll just mention this, is the last sort of five years, I've really focused a lot of my practice on supporting women. And so I have um, a pretty strong client base of professional women, women that are that own businesses. So it fits really well with the entrepreneurship work that, that you do as well. That's, uh, that's really interesting. I have, I'm going to come to some questions in a moment, uh, specifically related to women. But before we get there, I wondered if we could maybe just set the stage a little bit, um, not, not specifically around women, but I wanted to know if you could give us, because I, I suspect that many of our listeners may not be, may not have their own wealth advisor, and they may not be exactly certain kind of what, what you do, or what kinds of questions or items that they could um, discuss with you. And I wondered if you could Maybe give, a, give me a little bit of, I don't know, trends or patterns that you notice in this industry. And the reason, I guess, the reason why I'm asking is that I hear snippets of conversations from, from my clients and not exclusively women, but as you know, I work a lot with women entrepreneurs. Um, and, and these clients will tell me that they have amassed some wealth, either through the sale of a business or through just the operations of, of their business. 
and they can be so sure about the business that they're in, the industry that they're in, but they completely shy away from talking about their personal finances and focusing on building their own, you know, their own wealth and their own sort of uh, future. And I'm wondering if that is a trend or is, am I just seeing some sort of weird subset? Can you give us a little bit of context from your perspective? Yeah, for sure. So um, I think one place to start is as a wealth advisor, it's sort of like, what is that? My primary job is to basically clients make money and invest it with me. <laughs> That's essentially what happens. So yeah. I'm here to basically make sure that they're not losing purchasing power, having their money sit in a bank account at zero to half a percent. Now with entrepreneurs, there's a few things that are happening here. So one, they're spending all their time in their business. And we all know that being an entrepreneur is not nine to five. Uh, it's pretty much around the clock. And so with that, a lot of times anything related to your personal life gets put on, you know, gets kind of put on the back burner. So we know that women in particular, they will keep 70% of their money in cash, whereas men will keep 55% in cash. So women notoriously will sit on cash and, and lots of it, in fact. So it's nothing for me to start working with a woman who's never invested. She's in her 40s and she's got two, 300,000 just sitting there that's built up over time. Not uncommon. The other thing I think that happens too is I think women in particular feel they need to know everything about investing before they start. And that's why they feel like they need so much education and then that just delays actually getting going. And I would say if you just start investing, you'll become more educated because you will be listening a lot more to what's happening versus if you think you need to know everything before you start. It's just this delay. So I think that there's a few things happening, but I think part of it is time, part of it is education, and then part of it is just to stop procrastinating. <laughs> And I think maybe to find someone that you connect and can trust, because if you're taking risk in your business, you are sometimes afraid to take additional risk with other investments. Yeah, I think I think that's a really important point. I think there's a number of things that you've said there that are really important. One that, you know, I hear over and over again, and, and you know, I would I would echo this, that the things in your personal life, like, oh, I should go to the dentist at some point, but like uh, Tuesday, I have a meeting, so it's not going to be then, right? And so those things just keep getting delayed. And I think that the that the concept of of sitting down in an area that is is unfamiliar to you, where you feel that they're, you're overwhelmed by perhaps a lack of education or a perception of I don't have enough wealth to get started or whatever the case is, all those things factor into that procrastination um, mindset. Whereas I think men, and this is this is I think a, a very much of a parallel in terms of how men and women start businesses differently. Women want to have a business plan. They want to have investors. They want to know the industry. They've done a bunch of research. They've often worked in the industry that they then want to, you know, branch out into. Or as men are like, I have a great idea. I'm going to start it. And, and then they're, so they do. And then they're like, oh, now I should really get a company. And now I should maybe think about my investors. So they, they do. And then they like sort of backfill. Whereas I think that this is obviously a complete generalization, but by nature, women are much more sort of planners and want to have the next 15 steps planned out before they they really kind of jump in and what i'm hearing you say is that if you find someone that you can trust to take that burden off your shoulders you can just get started and you can learn as you go and and uh maybe 
de-risk yourself because you've number one done something with your with your wealth and number two you're building that relationship and so you can learn alongside your you know your advisor who's who's out there you know working for you yeah no for sure and and you know keep in mind there's a ton of advisors out there to choose from um so uh, I would say keep interviewing until you find someone that you think you could work really well with. And I always compare it to like, can you sit down and um, just, you know, chat, have a latte, kick back, talk about whatever's going on in your life, because the advisor is going to become the most critical when your life is blowing up or there's something major going on. And that's, that should be one of your first calls, not one of the people that you can't even see yourself calling because you're just not close enough with them. Your advisor will be overpaid a lot of, a lot of the time you're with them. And then there'll be these things. And I mean, maybe I can equate this to lawyers as well, where it's like, when thing when the shit is hitting the fan, um, that is when we tend to need lawyers. That is when your financial advisor will will come in and can do some really good planning, can help you emotionally through, you know, the market dropping dramatically and help you get through that. So it's really why I think, you know, you pay professionals and you make sure you have a professional team so that when you need them the most, you have that you can pick up the phone and call them. You're not only then searching for who should I talk to? You don't want to be in that state of emergency or urgency where now you're trying to find someone great to talk to that you can connect with because you just won't make great decisions in that state of mind. Yeah, really, really important. And I think you'll you'll make, I mean, you, for sure, you'll make the best decision you can in the moment, but you won't have all the, you know, the luxury of time that you otherwise would could have. I want to pick up on, on this concept of sort of the relationship aspect that you've alluded to um, and hypothesized that lawyers are the same. And I, I 100% agree that I feel like I spend a lot of my time as a lawyer, obviously giving some legal advice, hopefully, you know, relevant legal advice from time to time. I also feel like a, a large part of, of what we do as lawyers is, is coaching. And we coach the client on number one, how to work well with your lawyer, like what information would be good to give your lawyer and when and at the time of crisis is, is a bad time to be like oh by the way there was this lawsuit from you know 10 years ago that we never resolved or whatever the case is like obviously that's just an example um but I feel like there's a and and, and clients the, the longer that you work with them the smoother the relationship often gets because they know what to feed you and you know what other questions to ask to you know to elicit the the, the question that you need answers so that you have the relevant context and you can give them the best advice for their situation. And I find that often with entrepreneurs, especially first time entrepreneurs, it can be the first time that they've experienced a legal process. Like they've either been sued or they're going through a corporate divorce or whatever the case is. And they need as much coaching on process as on the actual strategy or the regulations or the rules that apply. And I, I find that I often have to coach them on how to like deal with the process uh, and how to deal with lawyers to get the most from the relationship and then you know to cost them the lease and all of that. And, and what I'm hearing you say is that there's something similar about building that professional relationship so that you have context and background. And then when there's a pandemic that comes out of nowhere, you understand things like their risk tolerance or their their desire to, you know, like their goals and things. And can you, can you give us a little bit of background about the best way to kind of work with your advisor or what you find to be more like most helpful 
uh, to get the most out of that relationship. Yeah, well, I think the investment business, like with a lot of businesses, is it's a lot of psychology because you're dealing with so many different personalities. And when you work with people over a long period of time, you get to know what makes them tick. You get to know how to talk them off the proverbial ledge, if you will. You actually learn their family, their goals, their what keeps them up at night. And so you can use that to your advantage when you're needing to talk them through and work them through something. The market drop of the pandemic is, is a perfect one. I also worked through the 2008 recession. And some clients, you know, you can talk them through it quite easily. Other clients got to get a little bit more aggressive. And that's just, you know, but that's what every, every personality is a bit different and they, they react a bit different. Some people will take market volatility in stride. Others will completely panic. When I first start working with a client and, I, and I'm working through that first bad market with them, I say, as bad as this is, I'm glad it's happening. Because once you work through one, you won't, it'll be so much easier to work through the next one. But this idea that the markets won't eventually take some return away or that you won't, you're going to experience negative markets. It's just an acceptance thing that out of every 10 years, there's going to be probably seven or eight good markets, two to three bad mark down years, right? So seven good years, three bad years would be really kind of normal. The more you accept it, the easier they become. But it's really that I consider myself to be a behavioral coach and you know, I'm now embarking in to do my PhD and it'll be something to do with behavioral finance because I just find it so fascinating how people really think that the market is what is going to give them returns, but it's actually their behavior that's either going to give them a better average return or take away return. Yeah, interesting. And, and also their, as you say, their behavior, their reaction to an external influence like the market or, the, you know, the market crash or, or uh, you know, it's going really well, pandemic, oil price, like all these things that are outside of your control, you do have control over how you react to it. And if I think, you know, that that reactivity versus actually having a plan and sticking to your plan when things don't, you know, when unexpected things come up, I think is really is really difficult for people, especially when they're in a new process. And so I like what you're saying about, you know, understand their family, understand their goals so that you have a better picture and you can then give a lot more tailored, you know, suggestions, or you can focus on, okay, you're very interested in this particular industry, or you're not interested in another industry. And so how do we create a, a portfolio that, you know, is relevant for the individual person? And, and I think that's, that's a really important lesson. I want to focus a little bit more specifically on women as your clients. And can you tell me, because as, as you know, I, I work lots with uh, women entrepreneurs. And can you tell me what women might do differently that, like, what are some red flags or what are some trends that women would get themselves into trouble with or that they would do particularly well from an investment perspective that is different from either the general public or, you know, males specifically? Yeah. So there's a few things that we've already talked about women sitting on too much cash. Um, another piece would be that women, you know, 90% of women will switch financial advisors when they get divorced or there's a death of a spouse, right? So that tells me that women are putting up with and or are sort of allowing a relationship to be happening that maybe they're not a huge fan of, but maybe, and in a lot of cases, we'll see maybe it's the husband that gets along really well with the financial advisor. And so that financial, financial advisor is in place 
um, until something happens. So I would, I would sort of ask women to really stand up and, and really try to find a relationship that works for them. We are seeing more of a trend of um, women having their investments separate from their husbands. So you're seeing more of that, more separate bank accounts where maybe the family expenses will be in the joint account and then all the other money separate. I think this is a good trend. We are seeing women, especially women entrepreneurs, ask for prenups. And so I think that's a good thing. I think talking about money ahead of getting married is one of the best things you could do for your relationship and ironing out some of those details so that they don't blow up down the road or maybe become way more complex than they need to. Uh, Women actually do outperform men. So women trade less. They react less to market volatility and therefore before making sort of a all of a sudden rush decision to sell when the market's down, I think women will sit back and think more about, well, what's my financial plan? Why did I get into this investment to begin with? Whereas um, men and I, you know, I hate generalizing, uh, but that's just in the statistics that men might react a little quicker and men are also known to be overconfident, whereas we know that basically only 50% of women or less feel confident about investing. So you've kind of got this under this lack of confidence, and then you've got this overconfidence that's happening uh, between men and women. That's really interesting. I, I want to ask your thoughts on, so, so going to the relationship question. So if, if there's a divorce or your spouse passes away and, you know, a, a vast overwhelming majority of females will then switch financial advisors, which sort of suggests that they, their relationship, it wasn't them that held the primary relationship with the family's financial advisor. And it, it might've been the, the, the spouse, the male spouse who was taking control of those conversations, making those investment decisions. And the, the spouse, the woman might've been along for the ride, but then when it's their turn to step up because they are no longer in that relationship, um, you know, they, they want to really focus on that relationship and they want to focus on understanding and, 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 you know, making sure that it fits their financial plan. Um, how do you, how do women, so they find them, they wake up and they find themselves in a situation where they are, they're divorced or their spouse has died and they think, oh, I, I don't really want to maintain the relationship I have with this financial advisor. How, do, how should a woman or anyone think about what are their traits? How do you find a financial advisor? And I'm asking that question because I know that or at least it seems anecdotally, like this is based on nothing but anecdotal evidence in my small sample size, that the vast majority of financial advisors are men. And so how do women go about trying to find somebody that they will feel comfortable with to have those discussions, particularly let's say they've been married for a long time and they haven't been at the table making those decisions. How do they initiate those conversations when it might feel very overwhelming to them? Yeah, it's a good question. So um, 80% of all financial advisors are men. So but I have I don't think there's um, much statistic to support that women, I think we know that women like to deal with women. But I think what we've seen in the research is that 
women will select a, a male financial advisor just as easy as they would a female if they feel the connections there, if they feel they're being listened to, um, right. not if, if they feel like they're not being mansplained or that the jargon is kept to a minimum, right? These are the things that women are looking for. Um, women have also notoriously not really trusted the banks. And so they're often, um, they're much less likely to walk into a branch and ask for a financial advisor. They're more likely to get a referral from a friend um, or a family member. So those are some of the things that we would also see. And um, I think that's one of the best ways to find a financial advisor. I don't know if you can trust. I mean, there's so much noise online. I don't know what, um, you know, you could trust about going to find a financial advisor online anymore. Um, But at least that is a place where you could find some resources. And you always just want to look at the advisor's experience how long have they been doing it? What's their education? And then the firm they're working for, um, how reputable is it, right? But I I really do believe if you can get a, a solid referral from someone you know that, and remember, like, get a referral from somebody that actually seems good with their own money <laughs> or, yeah. or can back up that they're actually good with their money because you never want to, you know, get a referral from a, a, to a money expert from somebody who maybe isn't that great with their own money. But again, the whole keeping up with the Joneses, it's really hard to actually know what someone's personal financial situation is because it could look one way from the outside or one way on Instagram. And then actually that's not how it's actually actually going down behind closed doors. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. Um, you know, get a referral from somebody who seems to have have their you know, their house in order. Um, but how how you assess whether someone has their house in order is is a very difficult um, question. And so I think it goes back to and I think that's the way that people find lawyers too, right? If they've had a good good or bad relationship with um, with somebody who's helped them, uh, they're more willing to, you know, vouch for that person. And so I think I think that's really wise is to, you know, to trust the people around you um, for those referrals. I want to pick up on the, cons- the, the, the comment that you made about how there's a lot of noise online uh, around financial advisors in particular. And I want to take that question that the noise online. So in my world, in the legal world, my biggest competitor is the law firm of Google because everybody's a specialist. Everybody can Google and they can find out whatever they want. But how do we actually learn about financial information? Like, I don't recall learning anything about how to manage your money in high school or university. Beyond Google, how do people get themselves educated so that they feel like they can be an actual or an active participant in a conversation, um, you know, with somebody who has that knowledge? What are the best ways to to get educated? Yeah, like, I think, um, I think that, you know, University of Google is okay when you're looking up like how does an RSP work? Um, you know, yeah. what what can I deduct? Like these types of more like generic questions where the general consensus shouldn't change. Like that's a yes or no question. You should get a yes or no answer. Um, right. But where it's extremely gray in the investment industry is that you know, we're heavily regulated. And so you're not going to have somebody go on who's actually licensed and start giving out financial advice online, because obviously they could be sued for that. And so when you do go to YouTube and you actually see all of these different people giving advice, like buy this, 
do that, invest in this, you can probably almost guarantee that in most cases, they're not licensed. And so therefore, they might not be the right because anyone who's licensed isn't going to risk their license by going online and giving advice because investment advice is very specific to the individual because any advice you're getting should be based on your personal risk tolerance, should be based on what your goals are, what you're looking to do. So um, it's a little, I'm, I'm a little bit afraid of the whole Google world, but at the same time, let's be realistic. That's where everybody's spending time. So I think what I've tried to do, even with my own social media, is be sort of an education platform um, in the best way I can be. And I think that if you're going to do things online, just make sure you're, you're following very reputable, reputable people and not just, you know, hearing something. I mean, we're seeing this trend now happen with Gen Zs and millennials where they're looking for this quick win. So everyone's wanting to get rich quick. And it's just not, I think we've had really great markets um, even in this last 10 years and specifically coming out of COVID that anyone could go online, buy a few stocks, make good money. And now they think that they're an investment genius, but the, right. those good times will not last forever. And that's where, you know, I think having an advisor or a partner in that, in that space can become helpful for when things, whenever the next, whatever is going to happen and nobody knows, no economist knows it's all speculation of what the market or the economy is going to do next. Yeah, I think I think that's really wise advice and obviously very similar to kind of advice that I give to to my clients is, you know, the, the you, you get what you pay for in terms of the advice that you get. And so if you get some free Google advice that's tailored to like everyone and their dog, then it, it may have some basics, but there's a lot of nuance that can really be, you know, really be missed in that. Um, I want to ask you about specific um, educational like. I think that you you're I think that you offer some education that is more tailored to individuals. And if I was a brand new client, could I come to you, for example, and say, look, I just want I want to hire you to give me some education and help me create a plan before I say, here's my two hundred thousand dollars. I want you to go invest it. Like, is that a thing that clients can do and say, I want to work with someone to get educated and build a plan before they kind of like press go? Or is there always an expectation that you press go right from the beginning? Yeah, so I think traditionally um, in Canada, and this is where it's been quite frustrating specifically for women is they want to learn, they want to get started, but they don't have that minimum $250,000, that investment advisors are asking for um, as a place to start. So then they just don't invest and don't invest because they don't have that minimum. Um, So traditionally in Canada, that's kind of how it has panned out to work, which is really unfortunate. You can go out and you can hire like a financial planner to do a plan for you, which is usually very helpful. Um, You can come to me. I do have some consulting services where I'm more than happy to sit down, educate. I also will be starting up my investment courses again within the next few months here, which will be, I have um, an investment course specific for women who are starting out and just, they just want to learn and they want to know like, how do I get from building up my confidence to actually say, go online and open up an investment account and actually buy something and invest in something. So the course is meant to take, you know, it's really meant to take you from the very basics. Like I know nothing to 
kind of learning about financial planning, how to figure out how much you should be investing per month to maybe reach your retirement goal, to how to handle the market when it declines. It's meant to be all encompassing so that you're well prepared so that when you go online and you open that investment account, you're not going to blow yourself up. That's the general idea. So I, but I don't know who else is doing this. I hope it becomes more of a trend because I think there's just so many people that are looking for advice and they can't get access to it, or they're going to go online because that's the only place they can get information. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a really important point. And, and particularly like, I mean, we've seen this in the pandemic where like you can become like a, I don't know, what is it called? Like a, one of those, those fancy chefs, you can just take an online course and you can, you, you know, you can do that. You can take all kinds of university courses and that's great. That's great for people to be able to you know, continue their learning in these non-traditional ways. And I think that there's much more, because that's worked so well, I think that there's more demand for content. Um, and, and particularly if, if you can, you know, reach out to somebody, uh, an instructor from time to time, it doesn't have to be daily, but if you have access to the material, you can pick away at it at your own pace. And then you can, you know, have that connection to, to ask people. I think that there's a lot more demand for that type of content, um, particularly with the younger generation who are maybe more used to doing that kind of online learning themselves, but wanting it in a reputable, from a reputable source for sure. Um, where can our listeners find out more about you? Yeah. So if you just Google Lindsay Sparrow, you'll find me, but I do have a, um, I do have a YouTube channel, um, as well as I'm on Instagram at by the latte. So, so that's B-U-I the latte. Um, and then LinkedIn as well. Lots of people, I, I communicate a lot. People can just send me a DM and I'm happy to like provide information. Um, and I'm always happy to set up a free consultation, whether, whether it be on the investment side or divorce side, and I really want to be part of the solution for women. You know, I, I want that's where I'm trying to create other avenues for um, for investors to get access to more good information or courses and stuff is just because I don't think that that's very prevalent and I, I would like to see a lot more of it. So I'm really trying to, I, I always say, make the world a better place while I'm on it, hopefully, um, and, and add some value and not just kind of perpetuate the problem of people not being able to find what they're looking for. That's great. Thank you so much for that. And I think this has been a really helpful conversation to break down some of the barriers that maybe uh, women in particular face when thinking about how to approach their, their wealth advisory services and their investment portfolios generally. And I think you've given some really tangible tips for people to consider and maybe to, to reach out and take that first step which in many cases is likely to start with some education and then, and then kind of go from there. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Heather. Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update.